Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm Matthew's brother. I'm a writer, and I will be leading the discussion today. Someday, Matthew will lead the discussion, and we'll talk <laughs> about my Undecided video. <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> that was Matthew. This week, we'll be talking about Matt's most recent episode, which is Small Modular Reactors Explained, Nuclear Power's Future from December 8th, 2020. And my first question is, when did Big Little Nuclear get to you? <laughs> I'm such a sellout. <laughs> yeah. They've clearly got you in their little big pocket. Yes. It's a difficult concept to wrap your head around because of safety concerns. And yep. a huge part of that, there's, we kind of get slapped across the face with this. Not in my backyard thinking, and I'm not arguing that NIMBY thinking is bad. It's completely understandable. That kind of thinking, people don't want it around them. Nuclear reactors typically don't show up in the news unless they're melting down. Right. There were no, you know, look at Fukushima. It's running along beautifully all these years until <laughs> like, oh, there was a second tsunami. And now Fukushima has just been blown up. And pop culture is, we're inundated with stories from thrillers, Mission Impossible type storylines around, okay, there's the power plant itself, which is in some cases, that is the threat. You think of something like the China Syndrome. Uh, in other cases, somebody nefariously uses the power plant to create something evil. And then there's the constant reminder from political concerns about the threat of if we let certain countries develop arguably safe nuclear power establishments like you've described in your video, it's a doorway to being able to do bad things, create dirty bombs and nuclear bombs with the same technology. Right. So it's a big hurdle to get across. It feels like for you, you are on the other side of that hurdle. No. The, the, okay. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm living the life of Spock where like there's the logical part of my brain and then there's the emotional side of my brain. And I've done a really good job of segmenting those apart. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And the logic side of my brain says, nuclear's fine. It's fine. It's one of the safest forms of energy generation we have. It doesn't put out CO2. We know how to do it already. Maybe we should just be building some of those out so that we can get off of fossil fuels faster and give us ourselves a nice baseline energy. And then there's the emotional side of my brain that, that keeps thinking, what are you doing, man? <laughs> <laughs> Mushroom clouds, you know, meltdowns. It's like, then you have nuclear waste you have to store for hundreds of thousands of years. And we're not good at stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. No. So it's, it's, I'm definitely not decided on my take on this. I'm, it's a very, for me, it's a very nuanced conversation. And I actually almost didn't want to make this video mm. because of that, where I, I did a video on thorium uh, nuclear reactors and the reaction I got in the comments is very black or white. Mm -hmm. You're either go nuclear. It's the only way to go or uh, fallout. We're all going to die. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. And 
on this reaction in the comments, which we'll probably talk about a little bit, it's it's a similar thing on this. And I knew that was going to happen making yeah. this video because you're either for it or you're against it. And it usually comes from kind of a blind logical view on it or a blind emotional view on it. And people tend not to be in the middle yeah. <laughs> on this topic. Hats off to the to the commenters. By and large, the conversation is people have their stance, but they are really keeping it for, I didn't see a lot of comments. Maybe they were there and I just didn't catch them of people saying, uh, you're insane. Yeah, no, and no. I didn't see a lot of name calling within the comments to each other. I did see discussion around people saying like, this is not one, one person said we have trouble getting people to use turn signals. Yeah. You're not going to be able to convince them that this is safe. People do not change. And then there were responses to that saying, well, when that's your approach to people, you're turning them off immediately. So you're not even engaging in a conversation. And I thought that was an interesting discussion in itself. How do you start to have a conversation where you can convince people that this is safe? And then ultimately, is it safe? At one point in your video, you mentioned like, oh, there would be a waste byproduct that you would have to store safely for hundreds of thousands of years. And yes. I, I'm, I was doing the dishes when I listened to that. <laughs> and I almost broke a plate. Uh, <laughs> and it doesn't help when the industry itself settle down on those names. Um, <laughs> super safe nuclear company. Yeah, that's my favorite one. <laughs> Yeah. It's like a little on the nose, anybody? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine the conference. We're, we're very excited to have our panel of experts, uh, some of the top minds in their field. We have uh, Dan Jorgensen from Don't Look Behind the Curtain Limited. We have, we have <laughs> Susan. Everybody, of course, knows Susan Smith. She's uh, CEO of No, You're Having a Meltdown, Inc. <laughs> and... And Mark Wellaby is, uh, we were very happy to have him join us. Uh, he's here uh, just recently hired as vice president of research at Who Doesn't Want a Third Eye Company. So we're extremely <laughs> excited to have him. He used to work with Susan, of course. Everybody remembers that. Uh, like, I'm just, like, don't name, you want people to take it seriously? <laughs> stop it. Just stop yeah. it. Yeah. You might as well call your company, please, please take me seriously. The PR around this. Mm -hmm. I imagine that these companies are quietly spending millions of dollars trying to get communities oh, yeah. to be pleased with the fact that, you know, good news, Russia, there's now a floating nuclear power plant. It could be docking at your town soon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's there's an aspect of this. A lot, there was a lot of comments from the people that are definitely supporters of nuclear that would say things that you can see it in the comments of, oh, come on, stop bringing up Fukushima. Those along those lines of it's so overblown. Nobody died at Fukushima. And it's like, that's not the point. That's, it's also not true. That's, well, well, people, it, were, it's, people were exposed it, to levels of radiation that did, in fact, cause their death. There were people yes. who stayed on site to do things that did, in fact, cause cancers that killed them. But the number that died is actually surprisingly small in the grand scheme of things. But no matter what the number of deaths is, that's not the point. It's the fact that this thing, it's like you're playing with fire. It's like when it goes wrong, it goes really wrong. And it can make an area unlivable, 
not just for a few years, but for hundreds of years. And so it's like, this that's what you're messing around with. And that's what, what scares people is that if this reactor that you're trying to build in my backyard goes wrong, it could kill all of us or it could make a section of this area unlivable for generations. It's like, that's really frightening where you're building a solar power plant. If it goes wrong, it doesn't yeah. make energy. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the worst that happens. So that that's what you're competing against. And there's a psychological aspect of this that can't be ignored. It's human nature. And so yeah. for people to say, oh, come on, Fukushima is so overblown. It's like, no, it's not. It's you're dealing with nuclear waste, nuclear fallout. You're dealing with things that can kill people for not just when it happens, but for years afterwards. It's like that. That's not an insurmountable problem and it's not something that you can just write off it is there's a blend here that you always have to take into the equation there's it's, it's very nuanced it's not black or white and people try to make this a black or white issue and it's really not i'm curious about some of the elements of making these so mobile you, you describe basically they could be built in trucks in vehicles where they'd then be able to be moved from location to location very easily um, well, sort of, I may have oversold that. It's like, imagine it being built in a factory and the size of the capsule could fit in a container truck, mm-hmm. like a semi truck. They're huge and they're going right. to weigh tons. So it's not like you're just going to put this in the back of a truck and take it over to, you know, the town next door to give them some extra power. It's like when you install these, you're installing them permanently in that location. It's okay. not a it's not like a battery pack. You're not rolling it around and just plugging it in where you need it. It's like the benefit is you don't have to design custom tailored facilities depending on where you're building it. It's it's like how many how many of these modules do you want? You want five because right. you have to make this amount of energy. Well, here's five. We'll have five trucks show up. We'll dig this facility. You plant them in the ground. You build a little building around it and Bob's your uncle. You're done. Uh, it's much quicker to roll it out, but it, it's not like it's mobile. That's the thing that I may have missed in the video a little bit. One of the things that popped into my mind is if you're reaching that level of modular components that are able to be transported so you could build these things on sites, the cost per megawatt is still higher than other energy sources like renewables or something like natural gas. And we have the capacity for something like the liquid air batteries, is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, the liquid air batteries, yeah. yeah. Like that sort of thing. It's almost like it's 1950s thinking trying to fit into the 21st century, and it doesn't quite fit anymore. It feels yeah. like it is a very advanced vision of power production, mm-hmm. but it almost seems outdated. Like, oh, but we we now see other ways, and I'm not <laughs> quite sure I still see the same appeal you're hitting on something very important. And this is this is where my actual opinion falls. It's not that I think nuclear is necessarily evil and we should avoid it because it it could have its place in a situational point of view. Like there's certain areas where it's like, okay, a nuclear plant may make the most sense here, but not everywhere. But if you look in the long term, 50 years down the road, nuclear is not going to be a thing, in my opinion. It's like it, other forms of energy generation and storage are going to become so cheap you have to follow, I, I keep saying this, you have to follow the dollars to understand why things are happening. When you when people comment in my comments, even on this video, after watching this video, they still comment, we just need to go nuclear. It's like, did you not see the price tag? What 
electric company is going to opt for building a brand new nuclear facility or even one of these small modular reactors when it's five times the cost of an alternative? Why would they, why would they even consider that? Right. And some people even brought up like, well, it's, it's, you didn't even count for, for the LCOE, you didn't count for, um, solar with batteries because to really make them viable, it needs to be solar with energy storage. And that's really expensive. The LCOE costs of energy storage paired with renewables, it's still cheaper than nuclear is today. So <laughs> it's And I imagine those, that over time, those costs are also going to drop. They're all dropping. And I think you're, the thing that you're kind of hitting on this, I think the best analogy that's kind of also playing out right now is for fuel cell passenger vehicles. Fuel cells 20 years ago looked like it was the future because just like a gas car, you pull in a gas station, you can fuel up within minutes and then you're on your way. It doesn't put out CO2. It's, you know, clean energy source. It's, 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 it, it works like the system we currently have today. And so a lot of companies like Toyota and Honda, they were going down all down this fuel cell route. And then up comes Tesla saying, no, we, we can't give up on battery electric vehicles. Here's how you do it. And now we're in a battery electric vehicle revolution. And over the past decade, the cost of battery production has dropped so dramatically the cost of making an electric vehicle is continuing to drop dramatically, that it is inevitable that battery electric vehicles are going to become cheaper than gasoline cars. And fuel cells are more expensive than gasoline cars today. So it's like, there's a re- it, it, it's, it's time looked promising 20 years ago, but then over the past 10 years, it's become clear that fuel cells dream is not going to become a reality. But yet there's still a lot of companies and people that are still tied to it as, no, this is it. We're, we're going to make this work. It's, it's, it's the best path forward. It's the future. It's like, no, no, your time, time's gone. And now it's battery electric. I think this, you're hitting the point of this may be true of nuclear, where everybody was looking at thorium reactors and small modular reactors of this could be the future of clean energy generation. But the cost of wind, hydro, and solar has been dropping so rapidly over the past decade. And energy storage, because of EVs, is becoming more affordable. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. the, the, the dollar is going to be the ultimate winner here. It's like that, that, that's what's going to win out at the end. Energy companies are going to go where they can maximize their profits. Not some dream of, well, we think nuclear is the future. It's like, no, they're going to go wherever they can get the biggest bang for their buck. And it's becoming clear it's going to be energy storage, like flow batteries, lithium-ion batteries, liquid air storage, hydro storage, paired with wind, hydro, and solar. It just It's inevitable at this point. And so nuclear could potentially be a stopgap for this transition, but for the future, it's it's... It doesn't seem like it's the path. It's just still way too expensive. It, it all depends. It's like a race. It's like who can get to the cheapest per megawatt price the fastest. And right now it's a it's like a sprint between battery energy storage paired with solar versus these small modular reactors. Who's going to get there first? And right now, solar plus battery has a little bit of the lead. And so it's like, can SMRs pick up the pace and beat them to the punch? Or are they going to be too late to the game? by the time they figure out the pricing and get the mass production under underway and the adoption, like to be able to get people to buy into building these in their backyards. It's like, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a lot for them to overcome. Like I said, it's like, I'm very nuanced in this. I'm not anti-nuclear at all. It's like, I think that this could be a viable way for us to over the next, you know, 
we need we need something now that can help us over the next 50 years and this could potentially be it <laughs> i just i just it doesn't look promising to me it looks like they're going to be the fuel cell <laughs> of of this this race and of course that's not across the board no you know we're talking you and i are talking from a us context yes and there are other there are other countries and that's one of the things that i wonder if you do have that information the production of renewables the the cost per megawatt from renewables is that consistent across the board from region to region yeah, for the most part it is but renewables also it depends on where you are because like canada is like 90 percent hydro like they're they're almost completely powered by water right now uh you can't do that in nevada <laughs> so it's like there's right. sometimes these technologies just aren't viable in some areas of the world. It has nothing to do with cost. It just has to do with how they work. So it's there's it's very situational. So your your point is spot on. There's going to be places in the world where small modular reactors are going to be the best solution, even though it may be more expensive than something else because they can't do that something else. So right. it's not like. SMRs are never going to be a thing. It's it, they may not just be they may not they may be a niche player where the majority of the world is solar, wind, and hydro, and then there's pockets of nuclear around to kind of fill in the gaps. One of the comments from somebody who called himself one percent inspiration commented, "You should have had more focus on small modular molten salt reactors." Mm. And a response to that was, I thought the same thing. I might be a little confused about the many different types of SMRs, but I was under the impression that thorium-based salt reactors were proposed to use the waste from older full-size reactors, thus making the waste with a half-life in the neighborhood of 100,000 years down to as little as 300 years, which is a win-win, to say nothing of the safety improvements of old-style nuclear reactors. And rather than talking about the the content of these comments mm-hmm. i wanted to say didn't you in fact have a video about the yes. reactors and you talked about that previously and yep. it made me wonder why in your videos when you have this cross references that these connections that could be made i've seen other youtubers who say things like and i previously discussed this and yeah. you can follow that link here <laughs> yes. and they actually put a link within the video so that yeah. the person is pointing at a window and saying you can click this and you will see my other video about this subject. And I'm wondering why you don't, I haven't seen you do that that I remember. And I'm wondering why you don't. I do it on occasion and I should have done it in this one, but this is one of those, you know, I'm learning as I do this it's <laughs> because when I made this video, it's like sometimes I've tried to cram too much into a video and I've done references like that where it's like, I'm talking about subject X and I kind of get a little off the topic with subject Y and subject Z because it's kind of tangential and kind of related. This one, I was just like trying to be more laser focused on a very brief overview of nuclear and getting right into SMRs as best I could to keep it focused. But I went a little too focused and I should have alluded to the fact that there are other forms of you know, the fuel that is used, but I, that wasn't the point of my video. And that's part of why I left it out was because right. of that, but I should have included it. And I am going to be adding a card that will pop out at some point in the video that will say, watch thorium reactors uh, right. because of that. So moving on to the second half of our show, as we usually do, talking about 
some things from the world of entertainment that help us pass the time. And I will start off as usual. And I would like to talk about another holiday movie. I'll probably be talking about holiday movies until the holidays are behind us. So buckle up, everybody. <laughs> Strap yourself in. <laughs> and what I've been enjoying is discovering some newer holiday movies. I've got my favorites. Um, I have an annual It's a Wonderful Life viewing that I always do. And I always cry at the same parts. So I'm looking forward to that. But I... The last time we talked, I think I talked about the, or a couple of weeks ago, I talked about The Happiest Season, which was a new movie that's on Hulu. And I just wanted to remind people about that. And it turns out that it has been a tremendous success for Hulu. And so I'm very excited about that. It did very well. It apparently was their most watched original content. And it was also one of the most talked about of their content on social media. So word went out far and wide and quickly, and I was happy to be a part of that. And I continue to recommend that movie. But I wanted to mention now a movie that had slipped under my radar. It came out in 1994, which was the year that I graduated from college. And I think that there are periods of my life, times of my life where Sean have no funds, Sean, very busy, Sean, no go to movies. And this <laughs> Sean is one of man. those, this is one of those, uh, dark periods for, for Sean where this movie came out and left and I have no recollection of it existing, but it is directed by Nora Ephron. It is starring Steve Martin in the lead and it's mixed nuts. I haven't seen that. It is literally every person in the movie is somebody you've recognized. It is Steve Martin with Madeline Kahn, Robert Klein, Anthony LaPaglia, Juliette Lewis, Rob Reiner, Adam Sandler, Lee Schreiber, Rita Wilson, Parker Posey, John Stewart, Jolie Fisher. It is, Hilly Joel Osment is in it. Okay. Um, he was eight when. <laughs> wow. Uh, wow. Oh and my it God. was literally, and that's just the credited people. There are uncredited cameos in it that literally every scene, if it introduced a new face, my girlfriend and I were going, wait, he's in it? Like, like every single person was just like them. And, the story is a crisis hotline operator who is Steve Martin. He runs this crisis hotline and the crisis hotline is failing. It is obviously makes no money um, and he's being evicted and it is a series of one catastrophe after another as things in his life spiral out of control and it is it harkens back to the same sort of vibe as what's up doc. It's that kind of humor where it is absurdist. It's farce. Um, you just have to be willing to go with almost a play like, like it noises off. Right. That kind of tone. Um, 
But if you are in that kind of mood, and last night as we were trying to figure out what we wanted to watch, there were two different movies. And I said, well, that other movie seems very earnest. And this movie looks like it's probably, the moment you say Adam Sandler, young (laughs) Adam Sandler is in it. Yes. And my girlfriend was like, I, young Adam Sandler doing something serious. And I said, well, we haven't watched it yet. And I'd be willing to bet you're going to see the water boy, Adam Sandler. This is not going to be the jewel heist movie that he just did. This is not going to be that movie. Um, hidden gems. That's what that was. Uh, and I was right. It's like when he shows up, he's doing the voices and playing the ukulele. But the thing is, it is is in the vein of, as you're watching it, you're like, okay, if this was made in the 60s, that would have been Jerry Lewis. Yes, that's true. That's true. And if this was in the 60s, the movie would have looked very much the same. It felt very much like Nora Ephron came to this. And she also was one of the writers and... um, with Delia Efron, who I believe maybe her is her sister, um, and they've clearly written it from a perspective of that kind of movie from the past. It's got that kind of feeling to it of people don't really act this way, but they're all cartoonishly exaggerated, right? And it's also apparently based on a French film. And it does have that as, as I was watching, I was like, yeah, this feels a little French. It feels a little broad in a way, broad and serious at the same time in a way that American films typically aren't. Right. Um, but it is, it's funny and it has a couple of things in it that feel dated. There is a, uh, transgender storyline that is, remarkably handled delicately while also being a little bit dated. Like, okay, the way that they're responding to it is a very 1990s way of responding to transgender as we don't even know what this is. So it must be crazy. Right. But while that response is there within the transgendered individual, it is handled, I think with a lot of care and it is not the joke uh, as my girlfriend said, the joke never feels like it's on the transgendered person. So there are moments where it's like, oh, how's this going to work? And then it does. And it's like, oh, okay, that's then you feel like you're in safe territory for the story, which is as absurd as it is. And one of the most engaging storylines is Madeline Kahn's character. And she's playing this very buttoned up individual who refuses to let loose in any way, shape or form. Um, and little bit parts, Rob Reiner playing a vet, like, and it has some very nice little moments that are about, it's really taking a holiday movie and turning a holiday movie on its head because the point is sometimes the holidays make you feel awful (laughs) and that's okay because at one point, one of the characters says the holidays magnify everything in your life. And if you're not happy with something in your life, it's going to magnify that as well. And that's hard. Right. And so it's a, it's a positive and very real message about the difficulties a lot of people have during the holidays. And especially right now, it kind of hit a really sensitive note for me. 
because with the difficulty around the holidays, not being able to be with family, not being able to visit family, watching a movie where somebody was saying, sometimes the holidays can suck. And you have to find your joy within a difficulty. Right. But if you look, you can still find it. And of course, the like I said, the point of his role is that he's supposed to be a crisis manager. And so the introduction to the workplace is this is a guy who's dealing with people who are suicidal and terribly depressed. And that's kind of the starting point of the movie of mm -hmm. sometimes people struggle. And how do you find your way out of that when things don't seem to be getting better? So I give it a thumbs up and it's, like I said, it's a very particular style of comedy. So if you're not into farce, if you're not into, if you're not into uh, a movie where somebody absurdly trips over a dead body, this is not going to be the movie for you. But if you're <laughs> in that mode of clue or noises off or what's up doc, this actually hits on a lot of those notes. And I thought it was a lot of fun. Cool. That does sound fun. I know, I love me some what's up doc. Still one of the funniest movies ever made on my side of things. I didn't have a chance to really watch many new things. Um, and I'm not going to kind of rehash what I said about saved by the bell, which by the way is still amazing. And I'm like eight episodes in and it, it just keeps getting better. That show big recommend, uh, Mandalorian and Star Trek discovery still amazing. Really loving work Mandalorian is going, but for me, the thing I was going to bring up today was video games, which I am a big video gamer and I've built gaming PCs for 30 plus years and uh, play PlayStation with you a lot and Xbox, all that kind of stuff. And this is like the season of video games because we have two new consoles that have come out, two new kinds of video cards that are going to like take gaming to the next level and you can't get any of them. And <laughs> it's driving me nuts because I want me some next gen video games. And right. the video game I've been most excited for is Cyberpunk 2077. And I made the call that this year that I'm not going to get the new Xbox. I'm just going to build myself a really nice high end gaming PC to play games like Cyberpunk 2077. And I'm still waiting on one of these new graphics cards. But this yesterday, I spent all, pretty much all day doing what what's the equivalent of gouging your own eyes out with a spoon, which is troubleshooting a self-built <laughs> PC. And it doesn't come around from the hardware side of it. It comes completely from software. I can't stand Windows, Sean. I cannot stand Windows and PCs in general. It's I love them for playing video games, but it's like a necessary evil to me. And I spent all day troubleshooting why my brand new little self-built computer, which worked three months ago, and I changed out just the CPU, stopped booting into Windows. And I could only get into the BIOS and do all those other stupid stuff. And I was troubleshooting it all. And it has to come with the way Windows and computers have now kind of locked themselves down to make them more secure from things like malware, change the way Windows boots. And my Windows system on the hard drive was set up for the old way and not the new way. And the new CPU only supports the new way. <laughs> There's no write-ups on this anywhere online. There's no instruction manuals for <laughs> from the CPU manufacturers or the motherboard manufacturers saying, hey, be aware. It's none of that. So you have to sleuth it through like Reddit forums and try to decipher this stuff on your own. 
I cannot express to you, Sean, how much I hate freaking PCs. This is why I went Mac years ago. And if I didn't have to build my own goddamn PC to build this next gen gaming system for myself, I wouldn't be doing this. But bottom line is I got it working. I got it working. My PC's running. I still don't have the new fancy graphics card, but I've started installing my games again and getting everything up and running. And I cannot wait to play Cyberpunk 2077. Even though I've heard it's really buggy as hell, I cannot wait to play it. There are some bugs that I've seen online. And if anybody is looking for a YouTube, any gamers are looking for a YouTube recommendation. There used to be Highlight Reel, which was at, I forget which magazine it was at now. Um, it was at one of the tech slash gaming websites. Uh, it was hosted there. And it then disappeared and now has reemerged as a solo channel. The guy who was the editor of it is now doing it independently as a YouTuber. And mm -hmm. I thought that was a, a great jumping off point for him. Um, I have a feeling behind the scenes, I base this on nothing but it's my own supposition. I have a feeling that he started doing highlight reel at the magazine as basically a thing like, oh, this is content that maybe that would work on the magazine. And then it became extremely popular. And then I have a feeling behind the scenes, he had to negotiate a way of owning something that had been done within the yeah. auspices of the magazine before he could do it solo. Because uh, it disappeared for a while. And now it's back. He hasn't said anything negative about that magazine. The magazine hasn't said anything about him. But it's like, I'm reading between a lot of lines here. And I'm like, I bet there was something going on. Because uh, for him to disappear this way and then reemerge solo, it just kind of spoke of he had to maybe sue for the rights to control something that he created. Um, but in the most recent episode of Highlight Reel, which you can find Highlight Reel on YouTube and subscribe and support, he has a number of bugs from the game and, yeah. and they are immersion busting. I, it is absolutely the sorts of bugs that are going to take you out of the game playing experience. And my response to that game, I have two different reasons for not buying that game anytime soon. One is I know it's the type of game I will enjoy and I want to enjoy it completely with immersion. So I want to wait until like, Three or four months from now, they will release a bug squashing fix that is going to take care of most of this probably. Yeah, and they'll so fix most of it. In the future, yeah. these bugs will be gone. Um, the other side is I don't want to try and play this on a current gen console. I want one of the new ones. Yes. So I'm waiting until I can actually play it on a PS5 or a new Xbox where I could actually enjoy the full immersion that of the technology because my understanding is that it is it is right now that I haven't watched the video but there's a, a YouTuber named Young Ya who does video game review and keeps an eye on the industry and he had a, a video recently which the, the thumbnail image of it was that 2077 is being discovered to be effectively unplayable on old gen consoles. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't even want to, I can't waste my money right now on something that I know I wouldn't be able to experience. So I'm happily ending my year with, um, the ghost of Tsushima game, which is probably going to be the most beautiful game I play on the current gen. Yeah. 
and use that as my, once I'm finished with that and it's 2021 and I've saved up some dollars to get a new gen, I'll jump forward and do a PS5. Um, but yeah, that game, 2077, it looks <laughs> glorious. And I, and I'm envious of your, of your, of your home built Xbox. I was telling my son about it last night. I said, yeah, your uncle is basically building himself an Xbox. And I thought he was going to do a spit take across the table. And he was like, how does he, how do you, how do you build an Xbox? And I said, well, he's effectively building a, a, a windows machine that is going to do everything that a Xbox would do, but he's building it himself. How, 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 how <laughs> just, I'm in the same boat with you of, I am be, I'm way too excited for this game and I want to be playing it right now, but I am not going to touch this game until I have a next gen system set up to do it. Um, so even though I can't get a hold of the new, it's one of those, even if I could get a hold of one of the new graphics cards that just came out today, I probably mm-hmm. wouldn't play it yet because I'm waiting for those bug fixes to come out first. Right. So it's like, it's kind of like serendipity of like, I'm gonna have to wait a few months anyway. And by the time that few months goes by, I'll probably finally be able to get a graphics card. And so by the time I get that, the bugs will probably be mostly fixed and I can play it. But these new graphics cards that came out, Sean, are like gen- like generational leaps better than the previous generation, just from a year ago. And they're, right. they're astonishing what they can do. And I was watching some videos on benchmarks, um, uh, channel Jace Two Cents, uh, Optimum Tech, and there's a couple other ones I watched, where they were showing what the basic frame rates are and how well it performs depending on what settings you use in the game. And they were they all basically said the same thing of, this game makes these brand new graphics cards look like they're outdated. It's pushing things so hard that if you try to push it to like ultra settings, it'll bring your computer to its knees, even with the best hardware today. So it's like the game developers for this game really are (laughs) pushing the envelope with this one. Yeah. So it's definitely wait for PlayStation 5, definitely wait for the nvidia rtx 3080s and stuff like that to be able to play this you can't right don't even try on older stuff which is a shame but i'm very excited to play it and i'd like to end on one other video game note and this is to of course our viewers at large but also to matthew in particular uh (laughs) i have been really enjoying and there's been debate within the destiny community about whether the newest update to destiny has been worth it And I would argue that for anybody out there who has been sitting on the sidelines thinking, is it worth my time? Go in and see if you can get a hold of the new light version of the game, which is basically everything in the free to play version. It does not include the current season. So you wouldn't be able to do some of the seasonal content that would revolve around. um, It would basically limit your ability to access a storyline involving the crow and activities around that but you would be able to do stuff on the new planet which is europa and follow a major storyline of the of the the stories and i think that it's enough there to get a sense of what changes have been made to the game and to see what the new abilities are in the game to really be worth checking out and Mm -hmm. So I'm, I have been really enjoying what they've done. And I'm also viewing it very much as 
the complaints from people who are saying there's not enough to do in the game are the people who play eight hours a day on YouTube and Twitch. And as somebody who has roughly an hour, maybe at most a day to play the game, I'm finding it difficult to choose what to do because I'm having to limit myself in certain ways. Like, oh, I'm just not going to have time this week to do that thing. I'm going to do this thing instead. Um, so I'm finding there's plenty for me to do with the hour a day at most approach, but also the storyline that they are telling, the way that they are tying some loose threads together and bringing all these things to a, not necessarily a conclusion. If this had been what Activision, when Bungie was originally tied to Activision, if they had done what was originally planned, Destiny 2 would have ended and we would now be in Destiny 3. Yep. And all the people complaining about certain system changes would still be making those complaints, but they'd be making them about a new game. And I think that what Bungie has done is a masterful tightrope walk in implementing new systems into an existing game that do dramatically change that game, but put them in a place where they are now on a runway to taking off into a future for the game, which they couldn't have done with the old model. Right. And that includes the transition from destiny one to destiny two. There was a lot of complaint about the fact that you lost your entire inventory. You were basically starting over in destiny two and, and they introduced whole new, models of how weapon choice worked within destiny two that broke what happened in destiny one. And it took a while for the community to transition to that and to really feel comfortable with it. And even then there were years of evolution of that within destiny two. What they've done now is another version of that, but they've done it without wiping your inventory, but they have had to implement a way of forcing the player base to move on from old weapons. And so mm -hmm. they've introduced a power cap technique, which has caused a number of complaints across the board. And even as I find it frustrating, I'm finding it frustrating, but at the same time, I also completely understand why they had to do it. Mm -hmm. So I think it is worth re-engaging with the game if you were a previous player. I think it's definitely worth jumping into the game if you've never played it before. Because if you've never played it before, you're just jumping in. And I've actually seen some uh, comments on forums for Destiny of people who haven't played it since Destiny 1. They're coming into Destiny 2 now, and they're saying, this game is amazing. So for people with a clean slate, it's terrific. For people who with previous experience... I do think that there is a lot here that it's definitely worth coming in and trying, if nothing else, than just to see some of the new powers, which are a ton of fun to use. Right. So that's my little uh, flag for Destiny 2 is fun. And having said that, let us know what you think. Are any of you out there also gamers? And are you building your own Xbox? And if so, can you help Matthew <laughs> with his bios? Please. <laughs> Let us know what you think. You can find our contact information in the podcast description. Please do subscribe. You can find the podcast anywhere podcasts are available. You know where those locations are. You're listening to a podcast right now. If you don't know where you found it, then you might need more help than we can provide. <laughs> Please do be sure to give us a rating, a review, share us with your friends, talk about us widely. 
mention how charming we are. <laughs> it really does help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then Matthew tells us about Super Safe Nuclear Energy Company. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.